Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern. And having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went home to bed. He lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. They were a gloomy suite of rooms in a lowering pile of building up a yard where it had so little business to be that one could scarcely help fancying it must have run there when it was a young house playing at hide-and-seek with other houses and have forgotten the way out again. Not specific enough. Which is why we're not doing it. Well, I don't want to go to a melancholy tavern. No, you want to go to a nice, cheerful tavern. Yeah. That was uh, Charles Dickens's Christmas Carol. Yeah, which we're not doing. This podcast is not about Christmas Carol. What is it about? Well, welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. Most episodes, (laughs) (laughs) uh, we like to take a famous book out for a walk and see if the world of fiction matches up with the real world. Hello, my name is Tiny Tim Wright, and I'm a digital writer and producer of Immersive Fiction. I'm trying to think of a uh, a Christmas Carol epithet now. My name is Kermit Lloyd Shepard. I'm a digital producer and a writer, and uh, we're not doing a book this episode. We're doing our festive fives. Yes, right. So we've each picked a bit from our two series we've done now of a Curiously Specific Book Club. Yes, that's 30 books. 30 books. Uh, we've Not each dirty picked, books, 30 books. We've each picked a moment from one of those books. We picked five moments that, uh, for various reasons, we were very fond of. Mm. And we thought we'd share them with you as a sort of interesting taster introduction to what we do. Yeah, it'll explain why we do what we do and why it's worth you listening. But I also, know. it's also got an air of, now that's what I call curiously specific about it. In oh, the, it's our greatest hits. Number one. Yeah, number one. W- which will become a collector's item, would it? It not? will become a collector's item if we were charging for it. It would be quite a lot of money on Discogs. <laughs> Discogs. <laughs> Putting it out on vinyl. <laughs> Maybe any, we should. For actually. anybody under... 40, that's a yeah. <laughs> website for collecting As vinyl. this is very much a Gen X production, <laughs> um, we would obviously want to put it out on vinyl. But this is hopefully then would be a gateway to you thinking about listening to our back catalogue of these books and also possibly supporting us on Patreon. Yeah, so if you go to patreon.com and search for Curiosity Specific Book Club, you'll find that you can hand over a couple of quid a month and get immediate access to all our episodes without any ads mm. and a whole bunch of optional extras. Yes, mainly for Series 2 rather than Series 1 in terms of maps. But, yeah. um, but there are notes and all our reference points and links that we come up with. And lots of photos and videos are there. as well. Yeah. So, let's get going. Uh, we're going to start with Tim's Festive 50. Yes, that's right. And coming in at number 5. Festive 5, I should say. No, no, yeah. <laughs> You've got to do it your best John Peel. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I wanted to do my Alan Fluff Freeman. I'll go do Alan Fluff. Not off. Not off. I was going to start right near the beginning right. of what we did and do we did i think our second ever podcast of well not our second ever podcast we've done podcasts before but our second ever curiously specific podcast was a book that you suggested Mm -hmm. which was stig of the dump by clive king yes yeah a children's book and i was a bit like oh i didn't know we were going to do children's books and also, it was close to your heart because it was close to where you grew up. Yeah. One of the reasons I was interested, it wasn't as close to where I grew up as I had thought it was. It That's was actually correct. a little bit further away because I thought it was in one place, but it turned out to be in quite another. Well, there we are. And that is why it's worth being in the Festive Five for me, is because it was the first time 
that we went somewhere and it changed my perception of the book and what it what the book might be about and that pedantic moment where you go oh no it's not where you think it is that we that we've located Stig's dump and it's not where you think it is that's what you're saying this is the first time what this is the <laughs> this is the first time as somebody who plays the occasional round of golf I've always found your um, your prejudice against golf courses somewhat discomforting. But now, but today, when I see what they've probably done to Stig's dump, I'm beginning to see your point. <laughs> this is some. This is it's, this is some. It's presumably, some of the most spectacular scenery in the country, or it would be if Jack Nicklaus hadn't come around and turfed it. <laughs> is it Jack Nicklaus? It's Jack Nicklaus design course. Yeah. Wow. It's quite fancy, isn't it? Very, very fancy. It's very, very expensive. There's two courses. One's completely private members only. The other one is um, £90 a round, I think. And it's, Are it, we on the footpath? It's part know, of the European the tour. It's part of the European tour. I think the footpath is, is, is signposted. And it, 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 it's a very hard-ass sign saying if you go off the path, you will be prosecuted yeah. for trespassing. Yeah. But basically, this is Stig's dump. We are basically walking towards Stig's dump, and it's part well, of the think, European tour now. I think we're walking round it. I think it's down there. So you think it's now a hazard, a Jack Nicklaus hazard? Oh, I think it's part of... Oh, look, so look, look. Big lake down there. You see the big lake? What a creepy place this is, can I just say? Yeah, it is a big lake. Have you ever been on a big golf course before? Not not like this. I played the golf with Darling. Not, it's not just with, like this. Not, it's, just, it's, it's just like this sort of white blokes in it's very di- it's very diverse on a, on well actually it looks like a cult, uh, so sort I think of that's the course you can play right I think that's the Jack Nicholas the first course, the heritage, heritage course you know too much well I looked it up on the website so so where's the footpath where are we I think this is the footpath isn't it the footpath, and then we're not yeah. allowed to go where the Scientologists go or whatever they are <laughs> this seems to be a roadway look this is this is like an episode of the prisoner for God's sake. We're walking away from it though, aren't we? It's over there, it's in there. It's in there, you're not allowed in there though. Ah, you can see the other side. That's the other side. So is the houses, I think the houses back are on the other side of those trees. Yes. So Granny's house, through the trees, across that paddock. Paddock. That paddock was clear, wasn't it? That's the paddock. Um, That's what keeps the, the posh people from the snargets. Exactly. Is the paddock paddock. And then... Um, and then over the fence. You're right, mate. No, no, I'm sticking through your eyes. The pri- it is the prisoner. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I am not a number. It's in there. They don't want you to see it. If I find out one of the holes is called Stig or something like that. Yeah. I'm yeah, yeah. Genuinely annoyed. Or Barney's hole. Barney's. <laughs> Snog it. Snarly corner. <laughs> Where are we going to bury our jelly baby? Down here somewhere? Good point, yes. Maybe we should put it in a bunker. People might not know and understand that reference, so we might have to... <laughs> Go to notes. The Snargets swore a horrible oath among themselves over the body of the last jelly baby in the bag, which they then cut the head off and buried to show what would happen to any of them if they broke their oath. You can see that they've, they've landscaped the hell out of it, haven't they? The Neolithic chalk pit has become the Nicklaus golf course. <laughs> I can't help feeling that golf courses are going to become a, th- a thing. Stomping out all the locations of our books are going to be on golf courses. We were right to think that golf and golf courses were going to become a big part of what we have to deal with when we go out into the real world. Yeah, rare is it that we encounter a book that we go out to that doesn't have a golf course in the way of something or other. It's interesting on the first one that I do play a bit of golf, as we said in the in the clip, and you don't. You have a uh, a pretty negative attitude towards golf and golfing generally. Generally. Um, I'm happy for golf to be played on the moon. 
I just don't want it on the earth. <laughs> yes, you should check out uh, playing golf on the moon. Playing golf with David Bowie on the moon, wasn't it? Well, to give it its full th- title. That's been a problem. <laughs> Although we were working on the idea of building a kind of sentient David Bowie bot, so that he, he, he we could download his consciousness into our spaceship, so he could continue to play golf with us. Right. How's that project going? Not well. Okay. But although the, if you read his lyrics, there's quite a few moments in it where you realise that he was interested in golf. <laughs> okay. No, because Heroes... No, no. I he, think we should just leave that hanging there. Okay. Where he was interested in golf. You need to golf. listen carefully to Heroes. All right, okay. Uh, moving on. Yeah, so I thought it was interesting that we had our first golf course encounter. Yeah, and you got a bit angry. I got a bit angry about the social uh, juxtaposition of the golf course with the traveller community. Well... One of the great things, listener, about taking a book out into the wild, you can start to read the book in a completely different way. Yeah. And with Stig of the Dump, I've changed my view of it completely. Yeah. This is not a children's book. No. This is a book about the strife in Kent, particularly, between sort of property developers and golf club owners, that sort of moneyed upper middle class and the nouveaux, and the travelling community, the ancient traditional travelling community and hot pickers yeah. and the battle over over ownership of the land. So if That's you're at, what it's about. So if you're out there looking for a subject for your PhD thesis, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, where are you taking us next? Well, we're still in Kent. Staying in Kent, my manor. Yeah, we do a lot of Kent. Kent. Yeah, and, and this was a driving one. Oh, you know what? It was in my lovely old BMW, wasn't it? It was. You've had to get no rid of that, have. haven't you? Not Very because sad. you give a toss about climate change, but it just got too expensive to park it, presumably. Well, no, it was the low emissions, ultra low emission zone. It would have cost me £10 to drive it any time, anywhere yeah. I took it. And that's the end of that. That's the end of that. So the next thing we're going to listen to is a drive down to Deal and Dover on the Kent coast yeah. there to find the Moonraker uh, rocket base. Yeah. Now, I was very surprised by this book. It doesn't involve going into space and shooting lasers. Well, I quite often use this particular episode when people ask, well, what's, it, what's the podcast about? And I quite often say, well, for example, Moonraker, <laughs> you may have thought it was about shooting people in space and going up in big silver suits and floating around. It's actually about the Maidstone Bypass. <laughs> it really is. It's basically three drives, isn't it, yeah. this book? And it is a kind of long old rant by Ian Fleming about the problems of his drive from his seaside house yeah. up up into town and back. It's James Bond as Jeremy Clarkson. Bond now, in his retirement, he'd be furious about the low emission zone. Maybe, but the idea that anybody would have to sell their gas-guzzling old sports car because of a regulation about uh, CO2 emissions. It's not he would be apoplectic. Yeah, not as apoplectic as Hugo Drax, who's, who's furious about driving all the time. He just seems permanently cross. <laughs> it's incredible. Anyway, the bit I picked out for this is the bit where Bond is chasing Drax, or tracking him down to the coast, and they get onto the Charing Fork. Charing Fork. Which is a notable piece of road. Yeah. And then the, the uh, Drax and his, his henchmen have this cunning idea that they spot a newspaper lorry yeah. with loads of rolls of paper on it and that <laughs> ludicrously he tells his henchmen to get take your shoes and socks off and get on the bonnet <laughs> and then jump onto this lorry and cut loose the rolls of newsprint and so that they roll down the Charing Fort Hill into Bond's oncoming Bentley and kill him or Which is drive off him the, off the road. Well, he's forced off the road, forced isn't he? Forced off the road. Right, so when I describe that to you, you think, that is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Could never happen. When you go there, listener, it's unbelievably, curiously specific. So we're closing in on the Charing Fork. Coming up the Charing Fork. We've got a Honda Civic and a Fiat Cinquecento ahead of us. I suppose at night there might be no there might be no traffic. Suddenly everyone slows down to forty. That's not what Drax is doing. No, Drax took the left hand Here's fork. Here's the Charing Char- Fork. Right. Drax took the left hand fork. Roundabout. Oh, it still looks like a fork though. Still doesn't looks it? like a fork. So we're going left. Yes. Drax took the left hand fork at Charing and hissed up the long hill. Okay. Hissed. His car hisses a lot. Mercedes hiss. German cars hiss, don't they? Yep. It's mildly racist. Ahead, in the giant beam of his headlights, one of Bowwater's huge eight-wheeled AEC diesel carriers was just grinding into the first bend 
of the hairpin. Okay, well we're coming up to labouring uh, under the 14 tons of newsprint. It was I'm, taking on a night run to I'm one of these. Going up the suicide lane. Yes, well this wouldn't have been here, of course. No, it would have been. Single. It would have had to overtake. But we've got this um, S2 lane the here. S2 lane, which uh, is referred to as the suicide. I've overtaken the the Fiat Cinquecento, almost an Alfa Romeo. And this is about. This is the moment that uh, Krebs is meant to get your shoes and socks off and get on the bonnet. Okay. So here comes the bend. Here comes the bend here. Yes, the first S-bend here. Tricky S-bend at the top of the hill. Here, this is it. I'm going to slow down behind this lorry. Take your shoes and socks off and climb out onto the bonnet. Okay, we're going up the S-bend now. So this is where he jumps out. Yeah. That goes alongside it. He took the bend at 80. I'm doing barely 50. <laughs> this is where he would have cut it here. Yeah. And he would have rolled back down, yep. down there. Okay. Rolled and he would have hit Bond. What we say is, it hit Bond on the second bend, down. Yeah. Because they go back, that's exactly what they do. They pull over like this, pull over, yeah. and go back to check. So we go back and check? A series of huge thuds as the left hand rolls poured off the back of the lorry. Right, so I'm driving back down the hill now. Yeah, so he decided like, uh, to go Drax back. Would have done. A master stroke, mein Kapitan. Yeah, they passed the lorry at the top of the hill. It was stopped and there was no sign of the driver, so just here. Yeah. And then they were slowing up. There were lights on in the two or three houses, those houses there. Yeah. And then they went on to a left, a telegraph pole, leant drunkenly, snapped in the middle. Then at the next bend was the beginning of a great confusion of paper. And the Bentley had nearly broken through the railings that fenced off at the right, mm. off right. the right of the bend. Oh, the, oh right. They fenced okay. off the right of the bend well, from a steep up. bank. Yeah, so it's this. That and fencing there, there. The that fencing bank. there, it's smashed into that fencing, that's yeah. it. Excellent. So, ah, look here, yeah, look, this yeah, fencing yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. So he's down there. Yeah. No, he, that is completely right. That is curiously specific. Very specific. He, Drax pulled up and he and Krebs got out and stood quietly listening. With their guns out, they walked cautiously over to the remains of the Bentley, their feet crunching the broken glass on the road. Deep furrows had been cut across the grass verge and there was a strong smell of petrol and burnt rubber in the air. The, this is quite good. Yeah. The hot metal of the car ticked and crackled softly and steam was still fountaining from the shattered radiator. He does write about cars quite well, actually, he does, doesn't he? Does, he? he does. Bond was lying face downwards at the bottom of the bank. 20 feet away from the car. How did he survive that? Must be indestructible. So I was a bit overcome there by how accurate it was. When we sort of pulled up by the fence and you sort of looked over and you could see just exactly where the Bentley would have come off the road and where Bond was lying. I thought you were going to say you could see an upturned Bentley. Well, wouldn't that have that? Been oh, one day. The one day we're going to find the Bentley. actual thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, I was a bit astonished by how detailed it was and to be right there. And then as I was reading out the text, I did say on there, I say, oh, this is quite good. And with an element of surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he is a good writer, isn't he? Well, he, yeah. Some of the subject matter in Moonraker is... Uh, he seems to write well about cars. Oddly banal. And but, crashes. Uh, yeah, yeah, he does yeah. write well about cars. 
yeah. driving very fast. Yeah. There's something about reading out stuff in the place that inspired it that gives you a sort of extra insight into how the writer sort of processes place. I mean, we also went to Ian Fleming's house in, yes. uh, in St. Margaret's Bay. That was weird. That was fantastic finding that. Yeah. Next to Noel Coward's house. Both of them, I mean, amazing, an amazing place, but also very tiny little houses down on, down on the beach. But the, the image of Fleming driving to and from London from his house and yeah. picturing this book in his head, yeah. it just brought the book alive for me. It really did. I, don't... I also want to say at this point to those listeners who are now telling me, well, of course, he, he, he got the number 007 for Bond from the, from the bus number yeah. uh, from Kingsdown to London. No. It's rubbish. Well, the other there's that theory, and there's the other theory is he got it from John D's signature. Also rubbish. Well, there you are. So there you go. There's yeah. a lot of rubbish around. Yeah. So anyway, don't don't fall for the myth. Yeah. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to it. Yeah. Just listen to us. <laughs> this <laughs> is canonical. No. Well, having said that, <laughs> we're now going to go to my n- number three in my list. Yeah. Which is the uh, scene from the Ipcress file. Yeah. By Len Dayton. It's a story I tell Lloyd about an incident outside a coffee house that I've just got off a blog off the internet. Yeah. So who knows whether that's whether it's true, true or not? not. It's but, too good a story not to be. Well, it's too good a story not to be told. Yes. And certainly when we were standing in the place and you were telling me it, yeah, I began to feel a little bit like it was happening to me. You're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club podcast, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. If you want to listen to the second part of this podcast immediately without having to wait a week, like everyone else does, uh, you need to sign up for our Patreon page. Yes, there you will find uh, Lloyd's Festive Five immediately for you to listen to without ads. Yeah. And I'm presuming that you'll be supplying five different maps as well to go with every one of your favourite picks. <laughs> you didn't tell me we had to do that. No, oh, I'm, te- no. <laughs> I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. But just to remind you, listener, that if you subscribe, you not only get access, you get all our lovely show notes that give you all the reference points. So we've given you the web links, the YouTube movies, the music list, everything you'd need. Occasionally we do maps, not always, and we do photographs and uh, some little video stuff so that if you wanted to get out there yourself, we provided you with a kit and it's all yours for a mere £2. Two pounds. Uh, we also have a, a premium tier for people who want to join us on our Discord server and have some chats about the books we've done and uh, uh, general chit-chat. We yes. were chit-chatting about our technical setup. That's right. With uh, with Rue yeah, on we the other day. Absolutely. Um, such as it is. <laughs> yeah. And the, and um, some discussion about whether we like Ruth Rendell or not. Yeah. If you like her or if you don't like her and you've got something to say, come well, and as see we, us. Well, as we speak, Twitter seems to be about shutdown. So, you know, you might want to join <laughs> us on Discord. Come and hang out. <laughs> so uh, head over to patreon.com, search for Curiosity Specific, hand over a very tiny amount of money uh, and, uh, and join us. Now back to the I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Podcast. Right, we're standing on Frith Street now. Uh, number 29, opposite number 29 Frith Street. Yeah. Near the juncture with Shaftesbury Avenue. Yeah. And um, it's now a, what's it, Taiwan, Taiwan number, number one. Taiwan number one, Tang, global fashion brand. I've just been in. Yeah. It seems to be like Taiwanese smoothies. Right. Rather oddly. I don't okay. know why it's a global fashion brand. Well, let me tell you. People are the, queuing for them, though. What you're, what you're looking at there yeah. is the star of the coffee revolution in the UK. <laughs> This, I, I'm, I'm enjoying your sense of drama. This is where it starts. At the Zinfu Tang. And the one person who would really appreciate what I'm talking about here is Dayton with his coffee obsession. Okay, alright. So this is the original coffee bar. No. Really? Called Mocha. Okay. M-O-K-A. M-O-K-A. Mocha bar was there. Okay. Basically what happened was that this guy who was an itinerant dental equipment salesman from Italy called Pino Rizzovato. Oh, come on. Pino Rizzovato. <laughs> I told you you're going to like this story. He's called Pino Rizzovato. He's an itinerant dental equipment salesman. Travelling up and down the country hawking his wares, he became mortified by the abysmal quality of England's coffee. He <laughs> <laughs> is basically he's Harry Palmer. Mo- he's not Mocha as in Mocha, the brand of desktop espresso. A- M-O-K-A. Yeah. yeah well, could is be. that him? Well, look. So well, well, it's two Ks, though, isn't it? So he basically, he, he was related to the director of the Gaggia company. That oh, made, right. okay. Uh, and he became the sales agent. When no one took the bait, he went it alone, renovated the ruined laundrette, the yeah. one, and opened the first espresso bar in London. No. There? There. Why is there not a blue plaque or something? It was hugely popular, serving over a thousand glasses of espresso a day. Glasses. Glasses. Glasses, you see. Where did the glass thing come from? Don't if you get an espresso in Italy, it doesn't come in a glass. It comes mm. in a cup. So and he also like? started to sell the first ever cappuccino in London. Yeah. But then by 1960, there were over 500 Gaggia machines that he'd sold. Wow. To various people. To coffee bars. Yeah. That was the form of the explosion. And those are things were expensive, weren't they? Yeah. Do you know who opened the Mocha Bar in 1953? Uh, Officially opened it. Uh, Cliff Richard. <laughs> Gina <laughs> Lonnebridge. No, no way. Yeah. There? Yeah. That's extraordinary. <laughs> See, I thought you would like Gina that. Gina Lollabridgeda. Yeah. And then the other really great story about this is it closed in 1972 under strange circumstances. Okay. <laughs> okay. And do you know what people think? Who managed to close it down? Nescafe. William Burroughs. William Burroughs? <laughs> okay. There's quite a long list of names I wasn't expecting there, and that would definitely be on it. Beat legend William Burroughs was not impressed by the mocker and believed it to be responsible for an outrageous and unprovoked discourtesy and poisonous cheesecake. <laughs> what? He, Where are you getting this from? He decided to mount a sound and vision attack, as he had previously successfully done against the Church of Scientology at, at 37 th- Fitzroy Street. He maintained that as soon as you start recording situations and playing them back on the street, you create a new reality. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that constant exposure to such attacks would lead to accidents, fires and removals. He stood outside the mocha every day, taking photographs and making recordings, returning the next day to play the previous day's recordings. And then on October the 30th, 1972, the mocha bar closed suddenly. William Burroughs shut it down with a psychic attack. That's extraordinary. I, I'm genuinely speechless. I was like, first of all, I didn't even know Burroughs was in London at all. Oh, I'm so glad I I'm found the story. A, a psychic attack on a coffee bar. Yeah, we're doing it now. We come back tomorrow. We and play this back to them. <laughs> we're going to shut down the Zing Fu Tang <laughs> within weeks. They are looking a bit worried that you keep pointing at them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Did you like that? Amazing. Oh, very good. Where did you find all that? Or did you just made all that on the internet. You? And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us. God bless us, everyone.
the love we found the love we found we carry with us so we're never quite alone the love we found so what i like about that one is it's not really anything to do with the book it is except that it's about coffee coffee that was the link Coffee runs through the whole of this book, doesn't it? I think there's something like 45 references to coffee and then several other references to Nescafe. Yeah. It's an obsession. Well, it's, it goes into the film as well, doesn't it? Because he's always making coffee in the he film. He is. But my best spice coffee thing is, is and it wasn't too much la- later after, it was the, the first Roger Moore Bond movie yeah. in Live and Let Die. The first time you see Bond, he's in his house. M goes to see him, and he's making coffee in this kind of elaborate Italian machine. And M goes memorably, is that all it does? <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about that clip that puts it in my top five is that idea that we can make the relation between the book and the author and these other weird things through just the pin of the place. Yeah. Is that if you're in Soho and you're wandering on the route that he would take from his ad agency or from his sort of headquarters up on Charlotte Street yeah. down to the coffee shop he wants to see on Gerrard Street. He'd walk past all these places. Then we can bring out a bit of the history of the place during that period in the late 50s, early 60s. And then the wonder of the internet and the web is that then you can then find all these other bits of information, all these other passionate people who write about stuff yeah. from the history and from yeah, books yeah, yeah. And, and about Soho and link them all together in a funny way. And the connections are just so... Yeah, I mean, that, I suppose one of the things that makes London so potent, isn't it, for books is that there are so many of these connections. Well, this book was extraordinary, wasn't it? It was the idea that he's standing on Gerrard Street and uh, Princess Margaret, Reggie Cray and Buddy Holly are all walking yeah. out of the door somewhere. Yeah, what it's, a band that was. <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't <laughs> Very it? Very good. So where are you taking me next? Right, well, we're going through them quite fast now. So uh, my penultimate one... I want to go to Lincolnshire. I never thought I would say that. <laughs> so this is the, a surprising one for me. We're doing, it was The Woman in Black. Susan Hill. Susan Hill. We had to bring a lot to this because she very clearly says, I have made this up. This isn't a real place. You'll never track it down. Actually, in the dating, we, I think we surprised everybody to say that this is a book told in the 80s. It's not a, it's not a Victorian or Edwardian no, ghost story at absolutely. all. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a bit of a tease. We haven't heard from Susan Hill on the, ba- on the back of this podcast. No, and as of next week when Twitter breaks down, we won't ever. <laughs> <laughs> Thank well, God Well, she departed Twitter some time ago, I think. That, obviously, that, was, that set down a challenge, didn't it? But also, that's a teaser for you, listener, that... The whole of those episodes are worth listening to about, again, changing your idea about the book, maybe, from what, what you've read about it. We're just sitting in your front room if, or in bed, wherever you like to read. You can read anywhere, on the toilet, <laughs> wherever. Where are, you, where are you going with that? Other, <laughs> other rooms are, are available. <laughs> I had a sort of BBC okay. moment there. <laughs> I, was le- I was leaving out all the rooms in the house. <laughs> that if you actually go to these places, it does change your perception of the book. And in this case, this landscape, blimey. Yeah, I know. But gradually soil gave way to rough grass and I began to see dikes and ditches filled with water and then we were approaching the marshes themselves. They lay silent, still and shining under the November sky and they seemed to stretch in every direction as far as I could see and to merge without a break into the waters of the estuary and the line of the horizon. My head reeled at the sheer and startling beauty the wide, bare openness of it, the sense of space, the vastness of the sky above, and on either side, made my heart race. Very good. And then, uh, as I get closer, Mm -hmm. the sun at our backs reflected in the water all around, so that everything shone and glistened like the surface of a mirror, and the sky had taken on a faint pinkish tinge at the edges. And this, in turn, became reflected in the marsh and the water, Then, as it was so bright that it hurt my eyes to go on staring at it, I looked up ahead and saw, as if rising out of the water itself, a tall, gaunt house of grey stone with a slate roof that now gleamed steelily in the light. It stood like some lighthouse or beacon or martello tower facing the whole wide expanse of marsh and estuary, the most astonishingly situated house I had ever seen or could ever conceivably have imagined isolated, uncompromising, but also, I thought, handsome. All right. 
So we haven't found a house. No, but have we found a location? Oh, it's so spectacular, isn't it? You better tell tell the listener where we are. We are um, we are in Lincolnshire. We are at the uh, at the northeastern tip of Lincolnshire, uh, and it's the Humber Estuary that we're looking out at, or where, where the Humber Estuary meets the North Sea. Uh, we've got tankers rolling by. We can see a couple of wind farms. We can see the lighthouse on the the north side of the estuary, the other side from where we are. And behind us, we've got the flatlands of Lincolnshire. So and the wolds in the distance. The wolds in the distance. So uh, you know, brown ploughed fields, sheep, trees, lines of trees, dikes. It's it's like I mean, it's like being in Holland. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary landscape. And ahead of us, we've got a salt marsh merging into a, a beach, merging into the sea. And we've also got a pathway out to a slight rise in the marsh of grass. A where rather, possibly a house could have been situated. A rather meaningful marsh. I mean, it's, it's a kind of rise where we could take a picture of it and literally draw a house on it. Well, it would work. Well, for those those who support us on Patreon, you're going to get lots of pictures of this. Yeah. So you get a really good sense. And we can. all you've got to do now is just imagine a causeway and a house. And it's here. And the sound of a pony and trap. Yeah, that's it. Because even as we came down here, it's a very long, straight, tree-lined road out from... Uh, what was the village called? Marsh Chapel. Marsh Chapel. Out from a village called Marsh Chapel. And it was about, is it about three miles? Yes, I, would I think say? it was. So she says it's about three miles from the, well, actually from the market town to, to here. Yes, but, and uh, Marsh Chapel's not really a market town. It's not I really a candidate for the market town. But, you know, we should say, we'll keep saying in this book, you know, Susan Hill's been quite clear that this is an invented location. Yes, but she's picked she's cl- things. She's picking out things out of her memory. And yeah. but I this would feels... be astonished if she's not been here. All very, all very close to here. Yeah, this feels pretty good. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, Even better was in front of us, there were some dog walkers, and their dog went skipping across the marsh along the path. Like and if you've spider. read the book, there's, like a, a there's a dog called Spider who nearly meets a sticky end in the, sand, in the yeah. marshes. Yeah. And I was looking at that dog thinking, I hope it's going to be all right. Well, I'm slightly worried because they did walk out onto the sand... I can't see them anymore. No, no, I can just see them over there. Two dark figures with their dogs. Why are they waving their arms? <laughs> the ships look like they're sitting on the beach. Yes. The big ships are coming out of Hull. Or Grimsby, probably Grimsby, actually. There's just a parade of them. Yeah, the distant lighthouse. Two, there's another couple of little black figures on the sands there I can see in the distance. Yeah. Or can I? <laughs> There is, it is, as you say, Tim, very, very vibey. So I know she didn't even write it here. She wrote it in Suffolk. Yeah. And I know that there are only causeways in Northumberland and Essex. Yeah. But for my money, imaginatively, yeah. if you want to get your head round where that house is in The Woman in Black, you've got to come here, haven't you? I think so. Hark how the bells calling from hell all seem to say, Satan! Last Christmas I gave you my heart But the very next day you gave it away This year, to save me from tears I'll give it to one inferno So the thing about that extraordinary coastal landscape of Donna Nook, it's called, was the writer must have been there, do we not think? I like that those feeling of when like, you stand somewhere yeah. and the author's been here. Yeah. It's, a bit, it's a bit ghosty, actually, when we do that. Yeah. Had it a few times. Yeah, you get a bit of a thrill there. Mm. And you realise that then she's, that, that it's been used imaginatively for storytelling. It's been sort of banked, hasn't it? Mm. And then it's going to come out somewhere. I like that feeling. Well, also the idea that, you know, the, the, the basic stuff like the estuary on the left, the, you know, the mentions in the book when you kind of go, well, it can only be here. Well... Good. So when she said you'll never find it. Uh, like, well, well, good for Susan Hill that she knows her left from her right because yeah, we've had a couple of writers where that's just not the case. Looking at you, W.G. Seabelt. Yeah, and Daphne du Maurier. And Daphne du Maurier. Yeah. Not Maurier, Maurier. Yeah. yeah. Well, she doesn't know her droite from her uh, gauche. gauche. Yeah. yeah. C'est vrai. <laughs> yeah. And, then the other, and then the other thing about landscape is I kind of, there was a moment where I, I didn't care about the book anymore. I just thought, wow, I, I've been driven by a book out into a place that I would never have gone to before, and it's fantastic. 
Yeah. No, great. I like the idea of you being driven by a book out to sea. <laughs> yeah, but, I, uh, I thought you would. <laughs> but it was, uh, no, it was, it was just an amazing landscape. And you know, as you say, North Lincolnshire wasn't at the top of my places. No. It wasn't on my bucket list. No, it's not on the way to anywhere. Yeah. But I, I urge you, listener, that if you have a spare day and a half or yeah, two days, go and hang out there. Preferably, probably in the spring and summer. In yeah. winter, I think it's a bit bleak. Anyway, now I want to talk about my number one. It's You're, all about me. Is um, it a number one, is it? Well, did, no. Are, are these actually in order? No, they're not. No, right. no they're not. It's my last one. Yeah. I think they could be in any order. Yeah. I'm saying number one because this one's about my brilliant dating feat. Okay, yeah, it was a good dating feat, this one. <laughs> in, in Gwendolyn Riley's Cold Water. This was fantastic. Yeah, a lot of my faves are about going out and being the place. But the other thing that we do in this podcast is that we try and make sense of all the days and times and dates that are mentioned in the novel and see if they stack up or whether in fact there's a bit of a blur or the writer has sort of guessed it a bit or is just not bothered just can't be bothered this started with us just looking for things like Oh, well, if it's a Tuesday and it's the 12th of August, it must be 1950. Yeah, which you can right. look up online. That's easy, right? Yeah. Then we, we you Interesting got, how often they get it wrong, though. I know, well, yeah, they don't care. Yeah, they don't and care. neither does their sub-editor. Yeah. No, they read shit. <laughs> but then we got, got out of control, haven't we? <laughs> Well, uh, you started I like with the way tide you tables. First person plural on this one. One <laughs> of us has got out of control. <laughs> you did tide tables. You started it I with did tide, do tide tables. tables. I did do tide Somebody's tables. Somebody's saying there was a high tide at blah blah. Well, no, that's coming that. in. Uh, that's coming in part two of this. Uh, Is it really? Here, so you look there you to go. That. And then I, I got rather obsessed with the amount of time writers start saying it's a full moon because they just want it to be a full moon, or they say it's really rainy all week. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, I can look that up. You I can, can look up yeah. historical weather data. Yeah. I can look at moon charts yeah. and I can work out that I've given up with the moon thing. People just say it, don't they? Yeah, Writers just, just say it's all for atmosphere. whenever they want a glittery full moon light to have a spooky atmosphere, they just stick one in. Yeah. They don't care yeah, about yeah, the moon yeah, charts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But For then, the with find. this uh, Gwendolyn Riley cold water one, I got into gig lists because she's quite keen. This is a well, m- the character is a is a big is a big music fan that in it's Manchester set in, in two thousand. Yeah. So yeah, and goes to gigs. Yeah. Says she goes to gigs, and she also she's so keen on um, music that she puts lyrics in the book. Yeah. Ooh. So that you can track down whether it's a real song or not. Well, you used it to track down Jamie Harding. Uh, yes, hello, Jamie. Provide, who actually provided the music for the podcast. Very generously. Yeah, very generously. And, and also, and he's, he's also... He's still he, listening to it. Yeah, he still puts little likes up guy. and stuff. Yeah. Really, you know, that warms the cockles of my heart, that yeah. does. Fantastic. So do go and check out Jamie Harding's music, by the way. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, yes, I, I, st- I realised there's a seam here of dating. A seam here of data. Yeah, that the writer may not have thought of. In Gwendolyn Riley's case, definitely well, hadn't I'm not thought sure. of. Did Google exist in 2000? She would have been on Yahoo. No chance. <laughs> <laughs> That's your fault. I know. American 11, are you trying to call? The cockpit is not answering their phone. Our number one has been stabbed and our five has been stabbed. Okay, I'm going to call from Washington. I am a situation with American to learn the possible hijack. What's going on, Betty? Good crap, it's erratic again. Problem, very erratic. Eddie, are you there? Eddie? Sometimes I don't even know the reason why. That's what I'm saying. Eddie, what? Who are you talking to? It's easier than just waiting around. United 175, New York. We have some problems over here right now. So we might have a hijack over here, too. Over here. Uh, I even had a car. I walked back from Shelley's that next morning swinging a small plastic bag carrying a record I'd borrowed from her. Factory Grayness was a very early song by that Macclesfield band I was so hung up on. Right? So she mentions going to see this band when she's 14. So you said she's 20 in 2000 or 2001? Yes. So we're looking for a band that was formed in the early 90s 
that had an early song called Factory Grayness. Yes. Well, the joy of the internet is you can just put these words into the internet and you find yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's hardly any work for us at all, really. And the band that, that matches up is Marion. Marion. M-A-R-I-O-N. English Britpop band formed in 93 in Macclesfield. The person who fronts Marion is a guy called Jamie Harding. So he is obviously the archetype for the lead singer. Stephen Unsworth in the book, I would say. I'm sure there's a reason why that name has changed and that we, we're not meant to make the direct connection. But if well, you put also the, Stephen Morrissey. Well, yeah, but if you put the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you, it, it, it's hard not to see it as that. The only thing about that is... Well, there's a couple of things, I'd say. One is that they actually broke up in 99, I think. Yeah. Jamie, I mean, he has a serious problem with drugs yeah as in the book that the character does yeah and i'm afraid jamie himself does as well yeah she so goes to see him doesn't she she spends the night he does their second album released in september 98 but his heroin habit was causing a problem and then they had to withdraw from a tour because of his his health so they basically ceased to function in uh 98 99 now look by 90 in december 99 it was revealed the frontman Jamie Harding was working with longtime friend Wayne Ward on new material. Okay. So, in fact, by 2000, he was sort of back writing. Although in June 2000, Harding pleaded guilty to theft charges and possession of heroin was put on probation for six months. Blimey. He had stolen garden ornaments and sold them to an antique dealer to fund his heroin habit. So he's in a bad place. Yeah. So it's, it's roughly right. Yeah. It's roughly right, although it feels more 99 than 2000, weirdly, in say. terms of the dates. But she also mentions yeah. going to see a singer on her own and then going to, back to Tony's studio after going to the gig on her own. Yeah. So presumably she's still going out with him at that point. Yeah. I go to my notes. And the, the gig she goes to, there are some lyrics to a song she loves that the artist plays. I put in the lyrics into internet and I get Southern Belle by Elliot Smith. Oh. Yeah. Well, she was bound to be into yeah. Elliot Smith. Yeah. I love Elliot Smith as well. Yeah. By the way. I look for gigs in Manchester by Elliot Smith. Oh, very good. He plays on the 19th of June, 2000. He plays a gig in Manchester at the Student Union. At the Manchester uh, at the University. At Manchester University, yeah, off the yeah, road. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the other issue here is I go to the set lists. He didn't, he play, did, he didn't play Southern <laughs> Bell. He didn't play Southern Bell. Oh. He didn't. Yeah. yeah. Close but no well, cigar. Well, it's interesting. He did play Southern Bell only once in the UK in the 2000s. Oh, really? Where? He played it at Ulu in London, did the he? University of London, on the 10th of April 2000. So, I put it to you, Gwendolyn Riley. Yeah. Were you in London? On the <laughs> Did you April? go to a London <laughs> Elliot Smith gig and then just stuck it in Manchester? That is outstanding detective work, <laughs> Mr. Wright. I, that's very good. Very good. So, I think this whole issue of putting bands' lyrics and real sort of allusions to real bands into your book is a, it's a new one, isn't it? It's a yeah. new one for us of like, ah. Oh, now well, we it, it, it puts the writer in just as much trouble as when they give a day and a date. We were saying that she's, she treats uh, interviews quite in a, quite a disdain, not disdainful way, well, actually quite a rather good way. Yeah. That she just she's she doesn't very, take any bullshit. She's very honest. And, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Anne is obviously a bit bored by it and being asked stupid questions by stupid people. So that would be me, wouldn't it, at the press conference? Yeah. One question from <laughs> the one question you've got. Were you at Ulu? Did you go and see Elliot Smith at Ulu? <laughs> I often think of me sitting in a book launch press do at the back waiting to ask my curiously specific question. This is more of a this is more of an observation than a question. That kind of that yeah. kind of shtick. <laughs> People who do that in conferences. Yeah. We've only got time for a couple of questions. 
And then yeah, someone yeah. takes like two minutes over not asking a not question. Asking a question. Just I, I want everyone to know here that I'm here and I know stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. how so, many times you sat through people like that? Eh? Well, will you be that person at a book launch? Oh, I had a very bad one once at the Hay Festival. I'm blaming my previous work colleague, Rob Bevan, my creative partner, okay. Rob, Rob Bevan, on this one. Yeah, you, Rob. Yeah. It was the time when Heston Blumenthal was writing his first cookery book. Yeah. And Rob is very into his cooking. He's really into Heston Blumenthal. And I said I was going to the Hay Festival. I was, I was giving a talk. Yeah. And he was there and was going to be doing a talk about his cookbook. Yeah. So he said, you've got to go along. You've got to go and ask him, ask him why in his, I think it was ham cooked in hay. <laughs> Not hay on why. No, but just in a bunch in of hay. hay. Yeah. He said, how on earth can you follow this recipe if you don't have two ovens in your house? Because he doesn't mention that you'll need two ovens, but I've tried this recipe and you need two ovens. Right. So, oh, did you ask? Bloody hell did I. Oh, my God. What was response that? did you get? Really bad. Yeah. Really bad. Was he not happy? No, he said, oh, God, no, I've been asked this loads of times. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and he said, oh, well, yes, that's true that you do, but, you know, a lot of people do these days. And anyway, you know, is, is it that important or something? You know, it's like that. And and everyone in the room was on his side. It was oh, like a tumble. They all looked around at the me. the bad guy? All, like, sneers on the Like, what a f- bloody stupid question. Anyway, you've ruined the whole event. Ruined I the bet you really enjoyed oh, you've that, you've annoyed Heston. He's quite cross now. <laughs> And I was like, I bet you loved I'll that. get my coat. I'll yeah, get my coat. you loved it. No, I didn't. I felt terribly night. awkward. Also, you, I knew I was going to be there for another day and a half. Hay is not a big town. Is that I was going to be walking down the street with everybody like, you know, it would have been like um, the Revenge guy. of the, <laughs> uh, the Body Snatchers. They would be pointing at me. Do you know what I mean? You're the guy who asked the question yeah. to Heston. Yeah. So yeah, Heston question. Good. It wasn't yeah. good. All right. Well, very good. Great five... Uh, choices there too thank you i enjoyed those hugely well i'm looking forward to your five well uh if you want to hear them right now mm-hmm. uh, they're already on the server if you're a patron subscriber great so just uh chuck over two pounds and get it straight away and uh off you go yeah otherwise you have to wait for a week yes uh we're going to norfolk okay good uh, going to yorkshire yorkshire oh, oh come on do all the accents you didn't uh, do your norfolk one we're going to norfolk that'll do yorkshire yeah london <laughs> <laughs> and that's I, your London Manchester United supporter we're going, we're going to Berkshire or is it Buckinghamshire or is it Oxfordshire oh good I'm so glad we're going to talk about county boundaries yeah and then we're going to London again you're in for a treat there so we've got two Londons uh, a Yorkshire a Norfolk and a Berkshire Bucks oh can't wait mate sounds great even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.